and welcome back to episode 176 of Fully Equipped. And today, it is just myself, Ryan Brath, and my co-host, Chris McCormick. How are we doing? Buddy, we are in Phoenix, and we are living the life with the WM Phoenix Open here. It's a life to live. You've been on the grounds, uh, that's for sure. That's why we are in studio today. Uh, I was there reporting on equipment. I covered a lot of stuff this week, which was actually very cool. Uh, some, something that I'm gonna I don't want to tease but I think there's a lot of more there's a lot more customization that people don't see out on tour which I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully write about something but as far as equipment stories go we've got Rory played new wedges in uh, in Dubai for some Vokies kick off the year and then in his press conference he talked about how his new contract with TaylorMade started this year for 2023 and allow a little bit more flexibility in his golf clubs. I think it's pretty interesting because we see that with a number of TaylorMade staffers, Tiger Woods being, okay, we call him a part-time staffer maybe. Sure. But uh, he's got the putter. Uh, Scheffler's still got a, a few different clubs in the bag. But to me, that flexibility, I think, is something that a lot of players like building into their contracts. Oh, definitely. I mean, we see at TrueSpec every day the, the benefits of being brand agnostic, right? So having an opportunity to put the best clubs in the player's hands regardless of the manufacturer. So if there's something out there that's a particular feel, a particular shape, I mean, just suits a player's eye, or, I mean, in Rory's case, maybe turf interaction, consistency off the face around the greens, I mean, that might be something that for him just feels like he has a competitive advantage with that particular golf club in the bag. Do you think that it is a, a matter of of the looks or of the, the soul grind? Because, again... I, I default to like my own personal experience because it's all I have. And there are times when I can pick up a wedge and like after a while, I like, I don't really care. But so the soul is always really important. But also, you know, I think if you're a player at a very high level and have played, has spent way more time hitting shots than I can ever possibly imagine hitting shots, you're probably also very used to a shape versus, you know, working on a soul grind. Because I think like a soul grind is something that can be manipulated easier. Sure. I mean, you can <clears throat> you can absolutely replicate a a bounce, a grind, and so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean, shape, turf interaction, grooves. The I mean, just the feel of the material that a particular manufacturer uses to produce iron heads or wedge heads, whatever the case may be. I mean, those things are fairly unique to that particular brand. So I mean, while you can put a similar grind on the bottom of a wedge. I mean, being able to replicate every facet of the golf club is now, I mean, I mean, basically just reproducing the golf club. Yeah. So probably cheaper, more cost effective and easier for the player to just go, well, let me just play that one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a good point because I think the, and I, I, I know I've heard a lot of club engineers talk about this in the past, but you know, geometry as a whole is free engineering. It's free technology, right? And so as from a field perspective, you made it. You made a really good point there, which I think is kind of cool. Is you know, if if the mass or muscle pad or flange or whatever you want to call it is like a certain thickness behind the hitting area, you're automatically going to get. Even if the materials are the same, you're going to get different frequencies. They're going to feel different. They're going to sound different, and that plays a huge, huge role in the short game. And we heard that in, from Rory in Dubai. He said it in his press conference afterwards. He's like, first of all, I didn't have my A game. Sure. And secondly. Like it's my best short game week in a while, and like, you know, has some new wedges in the bag, right? And I mean that it's just like I tell every client that I work with. I mean, all of these manufacturers make great stuff. It's just a matter of finding the best equipment that complements what it is that you do naturally and what it is you're trying to achieve objectively as a player. So, in the event for somebody like Rory, if he's looking for that one little extra piece of a competitive advantage and he's able to find that with a Vokey wedge, then I mean, yeah, by all means, if I'm the player, I'm going to push to play that particular product that gives me that edge that I'm looking for. And it might just be a confidence thing. And who knows? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot in between the ears for a lot of golfers. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think you, you made a good point about the idea of replication because when it comes to 3d modeling and CNC and all those things, and I know like, one of the first was PXG with their like fully milled wedge and talking about what they did with that right. that cold club head and, and just from a consistency perspective to be able to bring that to a wedge. It's like that's not overly difficult, but it's like what 
does it produce for the player? Is it, is it the looks thing? Is it that? And I think Ferrari, the other part of this too, so we talked on the wedges, but the other thing that I spotted in his bag, which he did not have in Dubai, was some older long irons. So he had seven, and I was I was shocked because yesterday, so this it is Wednesday, of the, today was the Pro-Am day. On Tuesday, I tried very hard to get pictures of his golf bag. Sure. I did not. He was he was out there. He's practicing. He was, he was getting down to business. And so this morning, I was out there. Like I was 6.45 on the range. He was the first tee, tee time for the Pro-Am. I'm like, I'm going to get this guy's golf bag. I'm going to wait. I'm Love gonna, the dedication. I'm just going to camp out, and I'm going to wait for his caddy to show up because he's going to be here before Rory shows up, and I'll get his bag. Shows up, drops the bag, and I was like, those are 760 long irons. I said, are those are those ones that have like been like they just recently built? I, I just asked Harry quickly, and I was like, no, Rory actually got those out of his garage the other day, <laughs> like last week. And he's like, Love wanted it. wanted something that would go a little higher again, and he went back to them, and they looked used. They didn't look like they were a completely fresh set. So I kind of had that theory that they might be there, but you know that still is. I still see those irons. I see like of all the clubs that like kind of kick around tour that are older, and I say older being like. Relative, <laughs> relatively speaking <laughs> right. at this point but to see those long irons in the bag it still impresses me because i think it fills a void that is not filled by like a udi or something like that because it is truly like part of an iron set or was part of like a full combo iron set yeah and that i mean the 760 760 750 both were fantastic sets and of 750s irons. are still out there too there's Absolutely. like three or four sets because those are beautiful I mean, those two sets of irons, they comboed really well together. And I mean, the performance characteristics of them were phenomenal. And they provided a ton of ball speed, and especially the 760. ton of ball speed. They hit it high. Spin profiles were really, really consistent, which obviously those guys want something that is going to spin the ball a little bit for them. So they have that control with the long irons. And I mean, you could just hit them all over the face, relatively speaking, yeah. and get consistent spin profiles and ball speeds so i mean the 760 i see those come into the studio and it's like hmm like unless this guy is chasing more distance like these are going to be tough to beat yeah and that was a phenomenal set of clubs that, that taylor made a design in that 760 new 770 is really good but it's not a 760 it's a different shape it's a different shape and that's and, and roy mentioned that i will say like i've sat in a lot of press conferences for, mm -hmm. at, like out of at tour events now and like I talk equipment. So people are asking, like, did you celebrate the event? Like, you know, two past winter comes in or something like that. Oh, did you celebrate? Or you excited for this event? Does your preparation change? And, like, no offense to those, those people. Like, I understand, like, you're asking, like, very specific questions. But, like, those they, they, the, the whole point of their schedule is to, like, prepare the same for every event. Right. Right. So I always find, I'm, like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, what do you expect them to say? Like, oh, yeah, like, last week I didn't, I didn't care. <laughs> But this week, I'm totally totally like, focused. I'm totally focused this week. Like, so those, like so when I got to ask an equipment question, it was the first time I actually sat in an interview, like sat in the like the PGA Tour press conference in the media center, which looks way fancier on TV, by the way, because they zoom in and you don't see anything outside of right. that like fancy background. But uh, I was like, hey, Roy, so talked about the clubs, right? And he mentioned blade length, mm -hmm. which I think is very important, which a lot of people don't realize when they think about the like the, like irons in general, right? Because even if it is like a more blady iron or a, even if you could have two blades or two cavity backs, and if both blades have different blade lengths and both cavity backs have different blade lengths, not only have you increased MOI by increasing the blade length, but you've also uh, increased or potentially increased the closure rate or the control rate that someone has to like the ability to control the closure rate when it's closer to the hosel. And for really good players, they want that mm -hmm. versus something that is longer, which for bet like, less consistent players actually helps because it's higher MOI and it creates a little bit more consistent closure rate. Sure. Do you like, do you find from your perspective, if you give that like a, again, say it's even a decent player, that bigger golf club, they can control it better than when a high, but if a high handicap has that really short blade length, you get like swing path. Okay. So you actually, we'll digress on this really quickly because I'm, because I, I had this conversation with something else. Swing path doesn't change too much from a player. Generally. But face control, face angle relative to path is the biggest issue for inconsistencies in shot shape, right? I mean, yeah, facial awareness is 100%. So, I mean, if face angle dictates starting direction as it, it comes through impact, it's, I mean, 
having a shaft and head that complements what it is that the player naturally does to give them an understanding of how to control and you know basically produce a consistent release to square the face more often at impact that's yeah, huge so i mean shape length weight bend profile and shaft weight of shaft i mean you can do a lot with controlling start direction and then also rate of release and turf interaction is a big one i mean there's so many different components that go into it and the better the player the the more finite adjustments that you can make to influence performance and results so i mean talking about rory and blade length that's not a conversation that i'm going to have with a 10 12 15 <laughs> handicap you could, where, you could you shouldn't even bother having that conversation with anyone like me <laughs> it's it's something that those guys notice because when a tour player is making a change or when they are going and making adjustments to their equipment they're looking for something very very specific so for the average player, I mean, you can paint with very, very broad strokes. So if I take a, let's just say a, a Titleist TSR2, and I know that this head is performing fairly well for this player, I'm not having a conversation with them about you know, changing head weights or potentially a lot of adjustments in the loft sleeve. I'm talking about, hey, maybe we go for an 11 degree head versus a 10 degree yeah. head or a nine degree head. And now, okay, the start line is just slightly right of target. Well, that's a simple adjustment on the cog, and now we adjust lie angle and closure rate is better. Now, those conversations are a lot more generic and easy to have with that particular player demographic. But with a tour player, it's much more specific and narrowed to the point of, okay, shape of top line in relationship to offset, in relationship to the amount of camera that's on the leading edge. And I mean, those guys notice those little minute details. And that's where, like with Rory, he's making a change back to the 760 because there was something in that previous long iron that wasn't giving them the launch window that they wanted to see. I mean, I think you said that he was looking for something that hit it a little higher. That was that was his like direct quote was basically like, long, my long irons, which he, I mean, you go to a range and you watch my long irons, it's like, it's sexy. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's insane. Like it just <clears throat> it gets up there like so high and goes so far and there's just ball speed on this thing like you wouldn't believe. And he's like, yeah, the long irons get a little flat and I wanted to see it coming just a little higher and coming a little steeper. And that was that was his whole thing. And then he talked about blade length, which I thought was really fascinating because it goes to show that there are some players who are very in tune and they're just and like Rory is obviously very in tune to his gear. He's talking about all these different nuances that he's definitely noticing. Right. And then I find that there are some players who are like, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's guys out there that, I mean, they golf IQ when it comes to what's actually in their bag is shockingly low. And then there's other guys that you know, Justin Rose or Rory that, I mean, they want to know every single detail about every piece of equipment that's in their bag. I will post a picture on my Twitter or Instagram, and I, I saw, so Taylor Montgomery is on a heater right now. He is playing some spectacular golf, and he puts lights out as well. One of the best, probably one of the best putters on tour, because I was, I kind of talked to people, and I'm like, oh yeah, he puts it great. His putter is the ugliest looking thing you've ever seen. It's this old TaylorMade. It looks like it was spray painted or white out or something. Yeah. The bottom leading edge that goes into the insert, there's this massive dent on one side. And I'm talking like a quarter inch dent up. I talked to his caddy because I was taking I was kind of like rummaging around his bag. He's like, oh he's on a heater. Like, you know, this could be a week and you know you want to have those pictures. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, like he does he's he's painted his putter, his own putter. Like there's no no one's touching that thing. Like he does his own everything on this. And I'm like I pull it out of the cover. This is this, this would it? drive me nuts. Oh, this yeah. would be insane. It is the ugliest looking thing. But for him, it works. And I think those clubs do stick around in players' bags too, especially with a putter. It, putters are so unique. And I mean, I don't I don't want to call a player out. We'll just say a, a PGA Tour major winner and multi-time winner on the PGA Tour uh, had an opportunity to work with him. And I'm going through his bag and kind of doing my interview. Why are we here? And I take out his putter and it's a you know, custom one of one beautiful circle T. And I 
take it and I sole it on the ground just like I would with anybody else's putter. And I notice like, man, this thing is just dead shut. So I pick it up and I look down the grip and I see that the top of the grip is twisted to the left and the bottom of the grip is twisted to the right. And I'm eyeing it down the, the shaft and I'm going, man, like this thing is, is probably two or three degrees closed, like at address. And when it's sold, like you, you set it on the ground, you get it in the playing position and then it like, it wants to shut. Oh yeah. Okay. And, and then I put my hands on the grip and my, the, the way that, and it was just a, a super stroke, like 2.0, nothing crazy. So they, they actually torqued the super stroke. Uh, yeah. And so without saying anything, I, I asked the player, I was like, you know, how's your putting? And he goes, great. I led the field last week. Uh, perfect. Head cover right back on it. Back in the back. <laughs> Didn't touch it. <laughs> Didn't touch it. But I mean, looking at this thing, I'm going, oh my God, there's no way I could play with this and looked great sitting in the bag. As soon as I picked it up and put it on the ground, I'm going, oh my God, like this is a train wreck. Yeah. And I asked his caddy, uh, we were out at TPC and I, I asked his caddy, I'm going putter. And he goes, dude, I know. And I haven't said anything to him because he's been putting great. And I'm going, yep, good plan. I didn't either. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, not broke. Don't fix it. Yep. yep fist bump. Yeah. We're not touching it. it it's funny because I, I, there was, I talked to a couple putter reps today and they said, because I, I walked into one of the vans. I'm not going to mention the OEM, but I walked in one of the vans and they were working on some putters within their little space. And I said, oh, you guys are busy. I, this was after the fact. So I was talking to the rep. I said, oh, I walked in your van. You guys are really busy. You're doing some, you're working on some putters and stuff. And he goes, oh, yeah. Because the great thing about putters is we don't need to validate, players don't need to validate on the course. Like if someone gets a new driver, someone gets a new fairy wood and they face a shot or something, a lot of times they want to see it. They want to see it in the air, right? They're, they're looking for a ball flight. They're looking for a feel. They're looking for something that's, that's there, right? They're looking at a launch monitor. But in so many cases, and, and we talked about like quintic fitting or using a foresight for putter fitting and all those different like things. But a lot of these players, when they go to get their putters, it's like, looks good, feels good, sits the way I want. I have no problem aiming it. It's great. Done. And he's he's like, yeah, to be honest, like it's actually easier to change a putter in some players' bags when they're not like stuck on like one model or one thing because it, it's the looks good, feel good, pointed in the right direction. I'm good to go. Yep. Which I thought was fascinating because you think in some, in some players' cases, they're not messing with the putter. But in other players, they're like, yeah, I'll try something new. If it look again, look that looks good, feel good thing. I think is is really fascinating because when you have those the, those like clubs that players don't generally want to switch, but the putter is also like I don't need to add, I don't I don't I don't want to put you on the spot. But how do you own a lot of putters? Chris? Um, I I would say that I have a a, a timeout closet. You do okay. Uh, yeah. That we we have referenced on this uh, on this podcast multiple times over the, uh, the last couple of years. The the timeout closet, when I start putting poorly, uh, the putter comes out of the bag. And then there's one that lives in the rotation uh, that you know earns its spot back in. But I have a <laughs> few, we'll say. Less than 10. Well, that's way less than me. Less than 10. More than 5. But I have a, I have a steady rotation that uh, if I start putting poorly, it's just different shape. I mean, I have different grips, different shapes. Uh, different amounts of toe hang and hosel configurations, different lengths. I mean, I, I just go completely off the rails when it comes to what am I going to putt well with. And I mean, you look at somebody like Hideki, who has the largest Scotty Cameron collection of anybody out there and shows up to an event with, you know, four or five, six or more putters. And it's just kind of rolling it on the green. And yeah, this one looks good this week. And that's what we're gaming. I, I, um, uh, I saw him this morning and he, uh, his putter was, or someone had already set his putter against his bag. Cover was off it, stuck on the umbrella or whatever it was. And I thought, okay, if there's one thing I like, I'm, I don't really want to touch, but I really want to get a picture of it's a decky's putter. So I like, I got down and I took a picture of it on the green and I'm, I'm standing looking at one of the guys and I was like, Hey, can I take an in-hand picture of the putter? And they kind of like, looked at like, yeah, go ahead. I was like, oh, this is cool. This is like, it's, it's kind of that weird thing that I know he's got a ton of putters. So it could be sure. one of like many, many. I'm like, man, this, this is the one that like could have won the match. This, this could be the master winning putter. I'm like just holding it right now. This is like, could be the putter. Like there's a lot of people around. Like, I'm not going to run off with this thing, but like, I'm like, holy crap. I'm like holding this. Like, this is really cool. So I got some pictures of that, but 
yeah, I just, I find the, that, when I saw Taylor's putter, I thought, do you really need this? And he's like, Caddy was like, no, he's not changing this thing. Yeah. He's just not changing it. But uh, speaking of putters, you know, we'll, we'll work with the transition here. Uh, a putter, a, a player that uses a putter that is very specific to him is Justin Rose. Sure. Which he did putt very well at Pebble Beach. But I think the real story here is brand new set of irons, 11th hour. So from what I was told today, uh, I won't be, I won't give a specific time, but I was told that very, very last minute, he was in the van. He looked at the irons. He had kind of hit them a little bit before he wanted that set. They built him up. It was a, a combo set of uh, King Tours, King CBs, and King, King MBs, and puts him in the play and wins. There's something to be said. In many cases, the honeymoon period, when you have a set of golf clubs that you really like the look of, you really like the feel yep. of, is real. Because you there's... I think it was uh, Patrick Harrington had this quote one time. He's like, as you age, you have like experiences of, of like failure. If you have something that you've never failed with, everything look everything's coming up rosy. I, I mean, I don't disagree with that. And from how these things have been testing, the, the new series of irons from Cobra across the board, so the Tour, the MB, the CB, they're really good. I mean, really good. And talking to Ben Shulman, the, the, the tour rep for Cobra, I mean, when he had built originally, I think he said four sets for Ricky and sent all of them out. And he had done a combo set and then he did a, a straight set of the yeah. three other options and sent all of them out to Ricky. And Ricky ended up coming back and saying, yeah, the King Tour, like top to bottom, great, love it, going in play. And same kind of story, first week that he had him in play, played really, really well. And iron play and ball striking was phenomenal. And now you see that Rosie has him in play, wins. You see Gary Woodland makes a an equipment change. And yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for those clubs. And the the King Tour specifically is a probably one of the better sets of Cobra irons that I've seen in several years. I mean, it's solid. To 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 come off very like politically correct. I've always liked the look of Cobra irons, and mm -hmm. like I think of like some of the best they ever did was like the S3s, the Amp Pros. Amp, Amp Pros were really good. They they were like such a great set of irons. The 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 combo sets, I found from a looks perspective, they didn't fit that like profile. There was just something about them, but they did like even like the techs were, the techs from a tech perspective were awesome. They performed very well, and I'm talking the Forge Tech, not right. not like not the disc the game improvement. Uh, Players' distance iron, but they've gone back to this smaller profile. Uh -huh. And if you think of again, we we're talking in like an, an audio medium, so it's there's no visual here. But if you go look at like from a dress of the like the the black combo sets and things like that, the the shaping was very Cobra, but I, I it almost like they brought the game improvement shape and shrunk it down, whereas because there's like the heel was a little different. The toe was a little more, I want to say squared off and kind of like lower toe profile. They've gone back to this little slightly more rounded toe, shorter blade length. And I think that's why players are liking it because it, it reminds them of like truly a classic CB iron and the MBs and the CBs both have really nice camber on the sole. Sure. And they just as, as TO and, and uh, Thomas Lasky, one of the, one of the designers of Cobra, we uh i did get an interview with him at the pga show we'll have that up on an, on an upcoming show as he said he goes yeah they got golf bag drool factor all over them golf bag drool factor i like that yeah i like that i i use the phrase bag jewelry i like that's good too i like that, that. yeah I, yeah i will say oh it's, it's great bag jewelry that's yeah. what i refer to my my head cover collection is ah, it's, it's bag jewelry that's a good i like that yeah um but yeah i think i think from from rose's perspective when you get the when you get something like that in the bag, and like if you look at the irons too, like the progression as well is the blade, the sole width changes. Like the actual like blade length doesn't change too much, but the sole width kind of changes. So you have players at different, um, say angles of attack into the ball. You can fit into these different irons, and you get something that really looks the same, which I think is really overlooked. And I'm going to tease this because I. There's a lot of custom soles out there that I was, I've been looking at recently. I took a lot of pictures this week where I started seeing a lot more of these 
sure. custom van grinds and all these things and stamping on the backs of the irons because they've ground off the, the sole right off that they ground the number off the sole. I think that's becoming more apparent for a lot of players that that's really imperative. But from your perspective, from, from like players who are coming in and again, talking about vastly different like handicap styles, that's less important than finding the right iron, which profile fits that player. So you have like a higher bounce game improvement iron that's built into that design versus a thin sold uh, like blade or, or small cavity back, right? Because right. there is a player that fits more into that profile than the other profile. And that's where, I mean, you and I, I, I came and saw you yes, yesterday at the, at the studio. I'm like, I, I always, I still am shocked when I open up the iron drawer. And I'm like, man, there are so many options. And this is why when a golfer comes in for a brand agnostic fitting, the brand doesn't really matter. It's the attribute of what club is in this drawer that's going to work for them. And I always find that fascinating. It's, I mean, it's, I've been doing this for years and years and years and years, and it, it never ceases to amaze me. I, I approach every fitting essentially as taking a puzzle and dumping it out on the table and then working together with a client to, to put it together to get a clear picture. So, I mean, I always take a look at the approach of fit the player, not the product. So it gives me an opportunity to not necessarily care about who the manufacturer is, but right or finding rather the the right shaft and head combination to check those boxes. So attributes that we can't fit for, look, sound, feel, right? So going through and I mean, when I'm making my initial pulls, I'm pulling everything that checks the box from a fitter's perspective, as far as I know these are going to perform for this player, now comes into the human element of where does this fit how does it look how does it sound how does it feel at impact and so much interpretation of feel is acoustics yep. so as we're going through and we're hitting these different clubs and i'm bringing this up and a lot of players that have never had an opportunity to go through a fitting have never thought about feel and acoustics being associated they don't notice the subtle difference in the shape of the head the length of the blade you know where they're striking it on the face because of that that camber on the leading edge or the amount of offset in relationship to their start line. So you start having these organic conversations, and now all of a sudden, you're taking a player that had absolutely little to no golf IQ, and they're giving you feedback about acoustics, and, oh, yeah, the auditory feedback here is blah, blah, <laughs> blah, blah. And, you know, yeah, this one looks like it's slightly more toe-in. This one looks like it sits a little open to the target. And it's like, yes, that's exactly what you're seeing. I think a lot of players know what they're looking at mm -hmm. but they don't know how to describe it and once they're given that thesaurus of like understanding what they're looking at or what they're what they're interpreting the feedback actually comes in at least what i've found is kind of you, you feel i feel like you're saying the same thing comes in a lot easier because Definitely. it's it's almost like there's there's a nervousness to say something that sounds wrong because no, it's absolutely. Like, because it's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm not educated in like this or something like that. Which, of course, is never the like the goal is to to work with the person, right? Like, I always I, and someone I've worked with in the past has, has said this, and I always thought it was a great thing. Is like, as a fitter, you're not here to impress me. I'm here to impress you. Like, I'm here. I'm here to help you. Like, you know, you're just you're here to like tell me what's going on. You're here to give me as much feedback as possible, and I'm here to help kind of like, um, shepherd that that like vocabulary from you. Yep. And I think once you ex help that player interpret what they're actually seeing and feeling, that's when you can really start to dive in, even with like a slightly higher handicap golfer, dive into those specifics because they're going to give you feedback. And at the end of the day, they're going to be really confident because they really liked what they had versus saying, I'm not really sure about this instead of going, okay, I like the looks. I like the sound. I like the feel. And we've got our numbers here performance is exactly where it needs to be and that's yeah it, there's an opportunity to educate obviously and it, to your point there's there's always that that circumstance of you don't know what you don't know and nobody wants to <laughs> nobody wants to go into something new where they already have you know some feels maybe there's some nervousness or some anxiousness or like you said it's oh i'm i'm going to start hitting golf shots in front of you know this professional that does this for a living and what is they going to think about my game and, yeah yeah it, for us as a, as a golf professional and somebody that does this for a living, like I don't care. Like I learn a lot more watching you miss the shot than I do watching you just absolutely flush it. 
know, everything's going to perform well off the center, as we know, yeah. right? But I, I always kind of approach fitting as mismanagement. So I'm helping you manage the miss you don't want to see. Yeah. So when we start our, you know, fitting session, it's it's that conversation of what is it you hate about your golf game? <laughs> you know, That's a good question. You're you're here for a driver fitting. Why? What is it that is going on with your current driver that you absolutely hate? You don't want to see it again. You know, where's that miss go that just drives you up the wall and makes you want to throw your whole bag in the lake and walk off the course? Because that's what I want to fix. So if that means that they see the ball that starts right go right, and now all of a sudden a, a snap hook off the toe happens and it goes 60 yards left, but they go, I'd rather see that miss all day. Okay, that's progress. Yeah. So there's yeah, the open line of communication and being able to check those boxes and accomplish the objectives together. That's huge. That's awesome. And I think that's where, you know, going back to something like someone like Rose, right? Like you looked at, he'd obviously like seen them and hit them. And there was something about them where he was like, yep, this is, this is what I want. These are the shafts that I want and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, they go in the bag and of course he wins, which is really cool. Now the other part of this, which I think, didn't get mentioned and I'll, I'll be thankful to someone who reached out and, and pointed this out to me, uh, someone f- from this company. So he actually uses a, uh, a grip that is made by somebody for him. It's his own grip, but they didn't have those on the van. Right. So he used the same branded grip, but used a different, like literally a different grip. So it was like his, his normal grip is, I think, a like a non-corded grip and it's, or it's a full corded grip. But either way, his irons ended up with a half and half, like so a top and bottom different. And, you know, I always tell people, if you're going to get your set re-gripped, re-grip them all to the same golf club. But in some cases, I know some players who will use like because a driver is such a different golf club, you're just trying to swing as hard as possible. They don't really want, sometimes they'll use a different grip or a different size or something else. Do you ever see that the players would do that, whether it be in their lob wedge or their driver? Or I mean, irons to me it seems like such a weird one, but for, you know, for Justin and Pebble last week it worked. Well, I mean, think about it. So if you have <clears throat> if you have somebody that uses, let's just an easy one, an aligned grip. So all of the adjustability in the woods now, the aligned grip. If you start making adjustments into the hosel settings, now that reminder relocates itself. Totally different, weird feel. Yeah. So you'll have a lot of players that will use, you know, let's just say a, a tour velvet and they'll go tour velvet 360 in their woods, anything that's adjustable. So they can tinker with the settings. There's no logo. There's no label that they see moving around on them so they can adjust those hosel settings. And now you know, the grip still looks the same as it did when they put it on yeah. at neutral and irons. Obviously you're not going to be making any type of lie angle or face angle adjustments by moving a cog. So a line grip that lives in the irons. Okay. And now maybe you transition back into that 360 grip when you go out down into the wedges, because now you're modifying your hand position on that particular club. By a lot. By a lot. Exactly. So if you have a reminder that's sitting on the bottom of that club and you go and camber the club back and put the leading edge way ahead of the hands, obviously your hand position is going to be significantly different than what it would be at neutral. Yeah. So I do see a fair amount of players that might play two or possibly even three different grips as I've also seen people that go to a reduced taper grip in the wedges because they'll move the hand position, not only forward back, but also up and down to hit knockdown shots or to, you know, take yardage off on a, on a full swing shot. So it's not as uncommon as you may think. I I like, I, to be fair, like I do not generally play the same grip on all my golf clubs. So I I understand why like a player would do that. And now I always, I always think in my head, like tour players are going to be very specific. So they don't want anything to be different or change. So for him to like use a different model and have success, I think is very interesting. But I always like a smaller grip in my wedges because there's like, or at least in my 60. Sure. Because I'm never taking a full swing with it. I'm manipulating. Anytime I'm using a 60, I am not hitting a square shot. Like that thing is getting manipulated to like no end. So either whether it's closed or open. So like I've tried some smaller grips before a stretch a grip. So you get a little, you, you can go longer. You can grip down without gripping steel. There's a lot of different ways you can go about it. Um, but I also know players that'll use a either extra wraps mm-hmm. or they'll use a, a, a less tapered grip on their driver because they're going, you know, to use a 
like uh, the only other word I can think of is like they're going to go ballistic on the driver. Like the goal is to just swing it as hard as freakingly po- like hard as possible. Yep. And they just want to be able to know that like both hands are in a certain position on that grip. But uh, yeah, I think I always think that's really interesting because you know when someone buys a new set, so if you, again whole set, a lot of times they are going with the same grip from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. I've also had customers in the past from my fitting experience or club building experience. They'll get a golf club. And like they'll adjust it and then they bring it back like you know a week later like i don't think you put this grip on straight uh, and yep. i'm like no 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 no. <laughs> let me let me show you really i'm gonna get up, i'm gonna bring up your prescription so right here we had your setting at this did you change the setting on your driver oh maybe my pro didn't. oh yeah i guess i might have done that and then of course they're like okay well let's let's just get a new grip on there and we'll look if you do you like the setting is it working yeah yeah okay well let's do that so i always find that really funny because it's like you put my grip on crooked and i'm like Listen, I did not put a grip on 14 or whatever, you know, yeah, clock 45 it, degrees. Right? <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen. didn't happen that way. Um, so let's, let's wrap this up. So we are in Scott, we are in a Phoenix Scottsdale area. And part of the reason I'm here was because of the waste management talked about that. So this was my first experience. And the first thing I can, I could on it, like say is, cause I can remember many years ago thinking to myself, there is no way they have that many people. I've been to golf tournaments before. These attendance numbers are a load of crap. Like they're, yeah. they, they, <laughs> they pump them up. They're just, that was my, that was my internalizing, like what I thought, right? Cause you'd see the blimp shots and Nance or whoever's like, we've got a half a million people here over the last two days. And I'm like, give me a break. No freaking way. You got half a million people. I said, I've been to golf courses where like, you know, you don't get 50,000 people. Right. I will never in my life, after seeing parking, seeing the, the the 16th hole, the 17th hole, the 18th hole, the first hole, like for like seeing people out there in droves and what it means to the area. And I think that is something I obviously I have no experience in. And there is a Super Bowl this weekend, but what it actually means to locals to like come out, because if a PGA Tour event or LPGA Tour event or some type of event goes to a, a golf course locally, a lot of people who are going are golfers. Yeah. A lot of people who are coming here are not golfers. They're here. It's it's basically how I describe it. Now I've like kind of come to think about it. Now is it is a music festival that accidentally hosts a golf tournament where they're giving away twenty million dollars. <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, it is a it is a party in the middle of a golf tournament. It's nuts. And I mean, with today being Celebrity Pro Am Day, and tomorrow the lights go on. I I can tell you after years of experiencing this event. Just wait till Saturday. You haven't seen anything. Lucky yet. for me, uh, you know, hours after we've finished recording this, uh, by the time you're probably listening to this at home, I will be on a plane or oh. at home already, uh, completely miles and miles, hundreds of miles away from this at this point. Um, but there is like, I saw, I saw it because it's like off of, it's off the golf course, something called like the bird's nest where they have the concerts oh, yeah. and stuff like that. And it's, it's like an arena that they built in like some, I don't know, high school football field or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's just a parking lot. Whatever it is. And it's it's insane. And I just can't believe. So I have, I you know, I'd be parking. But yesterday when I got here, I had a different lot. And it was still like a like 10-minute walk, which is like very comfortable, right? And where it comes in, and everyone's seen the shot of like the Saturday morning where people are lined up under that bridge, right? Oh, yeah. And all day. Because that bridge comes to the, it's to the right behind 18th green. Everyone's seeing, everyone pretty familiar with the 18th hole, which by the way is an absolute beast. People who are coming down on Sunday who are playing great golf and, and you know, hitting it a long way, generally speaking for most of the winners, if you look who they are, where they hit that drive on 18 is monstrous. It's impressive. And, and I don't think that's the one thing, because like you see it at home, is like everyone goes, oh yeah, you know, this used to be such a, like a big hole, but you know, like, you know, it's it's not that tough or whatever, and you know the winners are play. They played it at one under par. They've gone par 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 all week. That thing is an animal, like it is an animal from that back tee. And I don't think people realize how far. I I was shocked. I, it's I an think, intimidating tee shot too. And the bunkers here are way deeper than I think people realize. You don't get that. And everyone says like you know you don't get depth perception on TV. Mm-hmm. I talked to I actually ran into Marty Jertson from Ping. Yeah. We just we were, we were wandering around. I said, hey, Marty, I was always running into you around this area, no matter where it is, whether it's you know at Top Golf or somewhere. I'm going to run into you in this area if there's a golf event going on. And I said to him, I was like, 
this course is way harder than it looks on TV. And like, cause again, the winners are the best players in the world playing their best golf. That's why you see scores that say any 15 to 20 under par. Right. It's not easy. No, like, it's not. It's really not easy. And what's the, so before you get to 16, there's 15, which is like that Island green par mm-hmm. five. Let me tell you, I saw a lot of amateurs hit some very bad shots <laughs> from the, from the front, like not the forward tee, but like the, the tee that the amateurs play from. Yeah. They have no chance of getting onto that green, no chance. holding that green or anything. And then you see someone on, on Sunday, they'll hit like a hybrid or a long iron and, and just goes, ooh, plunk. It's, it, to get that green in two is impressive. I mean, no matter what tee box you play. I mean, that green is is difficult to hit on the third shot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Let alone going after it in two from 200 plus yards away. I mean, there's not a lot to look at. I, I think... If you ever go to an event and the, the perception of what you see, again, what people see on TV on Saturday and Sunday are the best players in the world playing their best golf. That's what you see on the leaderboard. That's what you see in the event. But there are still 156 players. So you've got 135 players that might not ever be on TV for the entire week. And out of that, you have 75 players who were probably never shown because they were they never made the cut or like, you know, they just weren't in the TV window or whatever like that. You can go check the scorecards. 75s, 76s. Oh, yeah. They're out there very, very easily, but it doesn't come across on TV when you watch it. And I think it, it, that goes true for any PJ Tour event, but just as far as like the waste manager is concerned, it's a zoo. It's it's so crazy. And like even yesterday when I was here, so Tuesday, I was talking to the putter, like reps, hanging on the putting green and talking to people on the range and trying to get all my insights and stuff. I'm like, but this is nuts. He goes, oh, dude, wait till tomorrow. Somebody pro-am. People are like, Yelling at JJ Watt. Now, I'm not a, like you tell me. I there's a lot of celebrities who can walk by me. I have no idea who they are. Sure. It's very easy to recognize someone like JJ Watt because he's a massive. I'm like, he's a say, large human being. <laughs> I said this to one of the putter reps. I was like, he's got two security guys. Let's be honest. He is bigger than both of those security guys. The security guy's goal is just to stop anyone that are smaller than JJ to get to JJ. Because he is <laughs> anyone that gets past the security guys will have no like JJ will have no problem dismantling this human being. It, exactly, and, and you know, you know who else who actually is a great golf. Like, was I was very impressed with their golf swing and their golf game. Just I'd never seen him play golf, and I but I knew he was a golfer. I know Trixon has signed him as like an ambassador or whatever. Reggie Bush pounds the absolute freaking crap. He hits a good man out of the golf it's ball. A good. He was on the I guess it was the first tee. It's like a four hundred yard par four, and they're playing from the amateur tee, so he's up. And I'm like, why is he not hitting driver? He's got a three wood out because I kind of went over and peeked in his bag and took a few pictures. And then he hits this this three wood, and it's just I'm like, holy crap! Like that is insane. And like that's people, why. <laughs> and like people are there to see almost more of the celebrities and getting like. And Michael Phelps got yelled at so many times. I can't believe it. Phelps, 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 go sign sign my Wheaties box, sign my picture, all that stuff. Like he's local. He's and he's that's a local right. guy, right? Yeah. So like, and he was he was very kind. Like he signed he signed so much stuff. But it is it's a music it's a music festival that happened to have a golf golf tournament by accident, and I just. I can understand now seeing it in person. I don't. I don't experience like the whole bit, and I don't really want. To. I'm an old man. I don't doubt it too. I'm not. I'm not here to like go nuts. I'm not going to the, the bird's nest. I'm not doing any of this stuff. And didn't go to Skybox in sixteen, whatever. But like just to experience and see it, I can understand why. Like from for from even just from the community perspective, why it's such a big deal. Because I think golf tournaments are a community thing. They can be a bigger community. They can be a bigger event. This is your community. And this obviously means a lot to like this this place. And as I was told, they as you as like all tournaments do, they raise so much money for charity that I thought it was like I love that part. Of it. I love that whole bit of any like any tour event. But to know that they do it here and how much they do it is, I think is really cool. It's I mean it's definitely a, a huge shot to the economy here every year. I mean it puts I think they, last year was over four hundred and fifty million dollars. I mean, and revenue generated from Phoenix Open. Yeah. I mean, that's... From construction to, like, just, uh, like, infrastructure for the tournament. Those people get paid. Oh, They're yeah. getting paid by the, the event. Like, all of these people come here because of that. And I think, yeah, it's really forgotten. And, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, it's like, well, hey, you, you, you missed out on that, on that Masters raffle. You know what you should do? Go to the Phoenix Open. I mean, it's just an unbelievable experience. I think Monday was free. I'm pretty sure because I, I think so. Now, don't quote me on this because someone told me, someone else told me this. 
they were like, yeah, you could, if you have like, maybe for a certain age, but like you could get in for free for Mondays. And I was like, that's great. Cause there was a lot of, there, there was a lot of kids and stuff around anyways, but like sure. just, I mean, again, to experience it is unbelievable. I, I've played in that, the, uh, the Monday pro-am <laughs> and I have, I have gotten booed by, uh, you know, like 10 year olds in the, uh, in the stadium. Oh yeah. So that, that was, that was entertaining, but I, I can't even imagine the, the nerves that, I would have stepping up on that that 16th tee on a on a Saturday like I watched I watched I think three groups go through on 16 am, like amateurs and pro and all the amateurs like kind of mostly got it up there but one guy topped it and oh, he looked no. at his buddies and like you know he got booed a little bit but like people were less paying attention just because it was like it was the amateurs hitting and everything like yeah. that but even then it was just like I feel bad for the guy he laughed it off with his buddies and I'm like you probably still want to take a good shot, but it, like, you know, they take it lightheartedly because they're the way they were, the, the format they were playing. Uh, but it is there. There really is like, again, it sounds so silly and it sounds like hyperbolic and all these things. And, you know, maybe there's recency bias, but I've never, I've been to a lot of golf tournaments. I've been to majors at this point now as well. I've never seen a build up like this. I've never seen so many non golf people at a golf event in general. Oh yeah. And it really, it's just so cool. And I think, you know, if you get the chance to come, maybe you don't to partake in like all the like, you know, the craziness of it, but to see it and experience it and like just as a fan, it's so it's like it's unreal. If you if you're an appreciator of infrastructure, you'll go, how do they put up all these buildings and take them back down again? Like it's crazy. It's just it's like, it's an engineering marvel that they even like are able to do that in the period of time they do. It is. It's, it's super impressive. And so, I know uh I know before we wrap this up, you had made a comment yesterday. Okay, and I wanted I wanted to talk about this. There were a couple of golf clubs in particular you saw being built, brand new ones. Are you uh, are you able to to share about a a particular uh, Swish uh, golf club that you saw being built? So I I think there might I'm not going to say that they're going to be in play, but from from one builder on one fan and one player. He was talking about that. Um, got some. Someone brought him some Nike heads, some old Nike heads, <coughs> and got them built up this week. So I'm not saying they're going to play because I saw this player today. So that was yesterday, Tuesday, and then sure. obviously on Wednesday. Today was when I was out there again. The player did not have them. So whether they're going to be testing or not or whatever, but like, I still fi I find it fascinating that there are like, you got Scheffler just got out of his his Nike three wood last yeah. year. Yeah. Had a pretty good run last year too, so like that's probably good. Good on Taylor made for that. Um, but then you also have Tony Finau. I love walking up and just seeing that like two iron or three iron, whatever it is, just like still sitting in the bag. Yeah, just hanging out. And like you know, all the pink guys are like we don't mess it. Like I mean, why do we care? Nope. You know what? If he hits it great, he's gonna hit it great, and it's like it doesn't matter. But it, it just I always find it fascinating. There's like certain longevity, and there are certain clubs from Nike that still exist out there. Because it goes to show now, and again, I've talked about like the nostalgic factor of it, and be, it's cool because it's not available anymore, kind of thing. But they made good gear. Oh, and absolutely! It, and it goes to show that like there's stuff out there that really does perform. So whether these things end up in a player's bag or not, stay tuned because if it does, and I'm following Getty at some point, and like, they show up, or I'm at an event and they show up in, in this player's bag, um, you know, I'll definitely be. You know, covering a little bit more, but I didn't get a lot of information. They didn't, they didn't really want to talk about it too much. Uh, but yeah, they're, I mean, they're still out there. And I think that that's pretty fascinating because there's not a lot of brands that haven't made golf clubs in six or seven years that happen to show up. Yeah, the players still day. have representation on the biggest stage in golf. If it's a putt, I understand like they're like, um, Fitzpatrick used that yes putter for a long, long time. But other than that, like there's not, there's really nothing out there. Like no. everyone's got new stuff. But to see that, it's like, man, you must really like those golf clubs. I just when you were when you were talking about it yesterday, I was like, that is so cool. And I I know if Jay Wall was here with us, that he would have a hot take on on the Nike clubs being in the bag, yeah, or at least being built up for potential to make it in the bag. I I think for for a player to ask to hit them and have like another rep bring them out and say, hey, we got these. Do you want to try them out? It's like. There's there's a reason why they're asking for him. So like, again, I, whether they end up in the bag this week or not, no. But like, one of them was a vapor. 
clubhead, like that bright blue one. So if it does show up, trust me, people are going to spot everybody's it. Everybody's going to notice it. Everybody's going to spot it very, very quickly. It's not a Phil Nicholson spray painting a slider in his you know, bathroom or something. We'll, we'll, we'll put a pin in it. We'll put a pin in it. We'll come back. We'll if, wait. If we see it resurface. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. So, um, but yeah, Chris, this is great. You know, it's just, you know, obviously would love to have Jay Wall and Gene here. Um, I can live without Gene. Well, yeah. you, he can hang out with his robot. Exactly. Well, he was at Pebble Beach last <laughs> week. He's probably, probably snubbing it up everywhere, doing all kinds of fancy things. I, I say that when I walked inside the ropes at 16 today. So, like, I should probably keep my mouth shut. But, uh, no, it was it was great to do this. And, you know, we got to dive into, like, the real fitting side of things a little bit. Not that we don't talk about a lot of these things, but uh, kind of really geek out. And it was a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. So, so we'll do it again. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, if you again, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you do follow us along, we're fully equipped. We, we're on Instagram and Twitter, swallow us there. And, uh, you know, we're always here to entertain. And if, you know, we do have the fully equipped, Jonathan Wall and I are going to be the fully equipped live, which will be doing a breakdown of our club test this year, which was, uh, I think was a lot of fun. It's something very different that uh, golf.com and golf magazine has, has never really done before in this format and something that I was really excited to be a part of. So we're going to break that down tomorrow. I will be doing it live from my shop. So I will have a lot of props. So if people have questions on the live Zoom, you have to be an Inside Golf member to, to uh, be a part of it. Um, so if you if you see it or you're in the newsletter, you can you can sign up for that. It's only like 20 bucks a year, which is pretty cool. You get a lot of value out of it, and you get to hear Jonathan and I completely nerd out about our club tests. So uh, stay Love tuned. That. Yeah, it's gonna be I, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm gonna have a lot of stuff kicking around my shop just in case anyone asks a question. I'll be able. I'll be running around grabbing clubs out of bags and hey, hopefully who doesn't love visuals? Yeah, you got yeah, that's a nice that is the nice thing about the the Zoom calls when we do do them. This will be the second one that we've we're gonna be have done. And uh, the little visual references I think for a lot of people is really cool because I do lives on my Instagram once in a while and it's very difficult sometimes to explain something or like I don't want to type out a thousand words on Instagram. It's no fun. Nope. So to be able to like visually represent something pretty quickly, I think it's gonna be cool. So uh, stay tuned for that as well. But uh, that'll be it. For episode 176 of Fully Equipped, Chris, that was a blast. Definitely, buddy. We'll do it again.